if you will, John chapter 17. All right. I do apologize for the late notice about me preaching tonight. We would have put it on Facebook, but you guys wouldn't have shown up. So, all right. So I do apologize about that. And pray for Pastor as well. You know, he is getting old, right? And with old comes the sickness and stuff. If only he had, can you imagine if Pastor had a Facebook? Oh my goodness. Be a whole new world. You'd see all the stuff that we do. Amen. All right. <laughs> all right, John chapter 17. I just want to talk to you. Like I said, usually um, the Wednesday night, I, Wednesday, not night, but Wednesday, you know, I'll get that text message um, saying, you know, can you kind of pinch hit or whatnot. So basically, I grab whatever I've been studying and kind of just throw it out there. So hopefully, it'll be of interest to you guys. I do apologize if it's bad, um, but hopefully, uh, you'll get something out of it tonight. But I kind of want to talk to you guys. A little bit about um, kind of along the lines of what we usually talk about. Now, I don't want to be too repetitive, but I do think it's important uh, to know how to engage the world uh, with our Christian faith. I think it's very important. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm around my coworkers for roughly 50 hours a week. And so it's very important to know how to speak to people, right? I mean, most of us have jobs. We work. Um, you know, we're, we're just around people that don't believe in Christ constantly, and so it's very important to make sure that we're being as effective as possible. I believe in the door knocking and all that kind of stuff. That's very important. But honestly, the biggest way that our church can grow, I think, is just witnessing with people that you know, right? Witnessing with your friends, witnessing with the people that you're involved in every day of your life. God says we're the salt that, that seasons the earth, and it's a very good thing to kind of focus on that and reiterate that every morning. Um, uh, one of the things I like is, is being a Christian and not letting people think I'm crazy, even though we are crazy, right? I think one of the um, biggest parts of, you know, Brother Moe has a huge ministry uh, with the with the police, and I think one of the biggest parts of that is they know he has faith, but they know he's not nuts, you know what I'm saying? And people, it confuses people in that regards, because they normally think that religious people are kind of weird, but when they build a relationship with you, and over time they begin to respect you, they start to say, okay, there's something different. What's different? Right? He believes in this faith. There's got to be something real to it because they're not insane. And so as you build that relationship, it's very important to know how to kind of um, mingle, if you will, to people that are in the world. So John 17, this is a prayer that Christ prays to the Father before his crucifixion. Well, we'll start reading in verse 17, John 17, 17. Sanctify them in truth, through truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for also also which but for them also which shall believe on me through their word through their word. Now if you go back up to verse where is it at? Christ here is praying to the Father and he and he and he's talking about how Christians will be sent into the world. But he does not pray that God would take them out of the world, but that they would be sent into it. So the point is just to reiterate the fact that God doesn't want us to be Amish. You know, I think a lot of Christians fall into the category of where we kind of separate ourselves so much from the world that we, we don't have an influence with them because we really don't know how to engage. And I think that's important to believe, to kind of like 
see that point of view of how we're supposed to minister to people, right? Christ was a, was a friend of publicans and sinners, and it confused the religious people because he was involved in their life. It's not that we're supposed to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness because God says we're supposed to reprove them, but we're supposed to love them, befriend them. I'll never forget the first, ta- the first day I uh, worked at Taco Bell up north. Um, if you want any... If you guys have checked the news, they recalled a bunch of the store's meat products because it was kind of faulty there. So if you ever want to know an insight into Taco Bell, I still got it, all right? But the first day that I worked there, um, they, I was cornered. I told you guys before, I had three lesbian managers. And they cornered me in the back and they said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, because they heard I came from the Bible college. And they said, if you work here, are you going to have a problem with us being lesbians? Because the last Christian we had work here said he would not work for us because of what we do. And I told them, I said, well, you know, I don't agree with it, but I'll still work with you. I'll still treat you the same. I'll still treat you with respect. But that's kind of the mentality, right? A lot of Christians think we're just supposed to not minister to them. But homosexuality is the same as drunkenness or it's the same as bitterness, right? God sees sin on the same level. And so just kind of getting into the mindset of ministering to the world, how to engage the world, it's very important nowadays because you're going to get questions that you've never gotten before. A lot of the guys that are going to college campuses, they said back in the day we used to talk about evolution, existentialism, all those kind of weird things about should we believe in God, should we not believe in God, but the questions are a lot harder nowadays. Right? Should I commit an abortion? Should I not commit an abortion? Is transgenderism wrong? Is is homosexuality wrong? Is is um, what do they call it? Is the euthanization of disabled people wrong? Right? Nowadays in our generation, they're asking very tough moral questions, and you really got to get into the habit of knowing how to answer these. Go with me to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. There's three different aspects that I kind of want to focus on. Romans chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 5. Three different ways tonight, and I don't know if we'll get through them all, but three different ways that I believe it'll help you minister to people that are not of faith. Minister to people that are not of faith. And the first and easiest one, and we've talked about it before, is morality. Right? Morality. This is huge because of the fact that God, you know, we understand that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And so we have God-like tendencies, right? In the garden, um, God says that man is going to become like us, knowing good and evil. So we have different eternal attributes to us, and yet we live in a temporal body. But one of the biggest things that God gave us was a conscience, that law of the knowledge of good and evil. But go with me to chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law... Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So, why do people hate the Bible, right? Well, mankind, through the knowledge of good and evil, suffered death, right? From Adam to Moses, mankind died. The wages of sin is death, but he did not know why he died. Just having a conscience doesn't do anything, right? You can, you can know that when I murder somebody, I have a bad feeling, or when I give a gift to somebody, I have a good feeling, but that doesn't substantiate knowing which one is right or wrong. But what God did was he gave us a law. He gave us a speed limit, right? You can't get a speeding ticket unless there's no speeding speed limit. So like the only way that you can actually get pulled over is if you surpass that speeding limit unless you live in Langsburg and they pull you over for anything, all right? But there has to be, you know, that kind of aspect, okay? And so... God gave the law to bind our conscience to something that is that is real, something that lets us know what is right or wrong, and that we know to be the Bible. And that's why people don't like it, because we don't like to know that something is absolutely wrong or absolutely evil. So one of the big things you can do, though, is you can play off the fact that man was created in the image of God. Because regardless of whether or not they believe in the Bible, they still 
know, right, because of the transcendency of God, because we're made in his image and likeness, we still know that certain things are bad and certain things are good, right? People quarrel all the time, right? Have you ever heard this? How would you like it if they did the same thing to you? That's my seat. I was there first. Leave him alone. He isn't causing any harm. Or come on, you promise. Have you ever said these things to people before? What you're doing by saying these things is you're submitting yourself to a higher level of conduct, right? You're saying, because if I treat this person like this, he ought to treat me back in a, in a good manner. And so people that don't believe in God say these kind of things, right? They're submitting themselves to a righteousness that is outside of this world. And it's very important to notice. You can, you can kind of reiterate this in the workplace. Um, I had some, some friends and they were asking me about premarital sex and they were trying to see if that was right or wrong. And nowadays, you know, this is the 21st century, right? You got to get with the times. I love that statement. You got to get with the times. So as we were having this conversation over whether or not it was right or wrong, we weren't even bringing the Bible into it first. I just said, well, yeah, I totally agree, right? You got to get with the times. I don't even know why they're still saying that murder is wrong. I mean, this is the 21st century. You should be able to kill somebody if you want to. But this is what, this is what it is, though, is the fact that it's the same thing, right? If morality is relative, then and morality changes with the times, then there's no absolute right or wrong. But they under, but they it, they had to stop themselves for a second and ask themselves, wait a second, no, 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 that's wrong. Well, if that's wrong, then what's wrong about these other things changing? And so you really got to play these kind of things when you're within witnessing to people, because we inherently know that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Can you imagine a world that had a different set of moral values? Think of a country where people admired soldiers running away from battle. Right or a place where a man felt proud for double-crossing all the people who had ever been kindness to him. Right, You might as well imagine a world where 2 plus 2 equals 5. And so God has instilled in the world these sets of moral values that we live by, Right, and we understand that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Mankind nowadays tries to say that it's called dualism, right? We believe that just in the universe, the universe has just existed and certain things are right and certain things are just wrong. But this doesn't make sense. There has to be some kind of set of absolute moral values. Because if there's just a good power and there's a bad power, there's no way to determine which side is good and which side is bad because Hitler thought he was good for exterminating the Jews. So depending on which side you're on, you could think the one is good and you could think the other is bad. There's no real way of determining what is absolutely right and what is absolutely wrong. If you look at humanity from an, an outward perspective, right, and you look in, we observe different laws of nature. There's the laws of gravity, the laws, laws of em entropy, the certain things that just happen naturally in our world. But the one thing that's unnatural is the law of human nature, right? You can't just observe man does this 100% of the time and man does that 100% of the time. It doesn't happen like that, right? Man makes certain choices. He chooses things based on what he deems is right or wrong. But where did this set of moral values come from? There has to be something else outside of this world. We talked about it in our in our kids' class. We always say, if, if you and your sibling were fighting and there was no parent around, would you ever come to a consensus? The answer is no, because there has to be an objective person, an objective being outside of the realms of what's actually good and evil. So we, in, Christian, in a Christian mindset, we understand that there's not just a bad and a good. We believe that the bad rebelled from the good, right? Christ is the good power. Mankind rebelled in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Because you can't have bad without the good. No one's just bad for badness sake, but people are good for goodness sake, right? People do things just because it's good because they know there's a higher value to it, where people don't just do things that are just bad. We call that cruelty. And so just being able to talk to people about these kind of things, telling them there has to be something that ties your conscience to these certain things. Um, here's another example that C.S. Lewis used. We all have natural desires. James says we have natural desires that kind of war in our members as, as human beings. 
And we all have desires that are natural, right? The desires to eat, the desires to drink, the desires to sleep. We know that they're real. But there are certain desires in life that we understand are are bad, and there are certain desires that are good, right? And we understand that intimate relations within marriage is good, but outside of that is bad, right? Those are natural desires, but they have to be in the context of what is good. If you had different places where you could go to see a hamburger put on display and it was kind of like a peep show for the hamburger, you'd understand that the people watching probably had a problem with gluttony, probably had a problem with food. But in to the fornicational side, to the sexual side, people do that all the time and they don't act like there's anything wrong with that. And so people need to understand that there is a transcendent form of morality and that comes from God and you have to be able to distinguish between the two. And that was instilled in us in the Garden of Eden, right? We talked about how if you've ever had a situation where you're at odds with somebody, right? If someone has wronged you or you've wronged somebody, we talked about it before, you don't want to be around that person because there's shame. There's different things that we experienced from the Garden of Eden. Well, why don't people, why isn't this building full tonight, right? People automatically know within their conscience that they have an odd against God and they don't want to come and be around him because of the shame that's there. That's what separates humanity from God. It's because of this moral aspect. And we need to understand and be able to relay this to people that there has to be an absolute set of values, right? If you think about morality, and we've talked about it before, people that say all truth, all moral truth is relative, well, then what they're saying is relative, right? There has to be some kind of absolute right or wrong. People that make the statement that everybody should be able to choose what is right or wrong for themselves is a lie. They don't really believe that because there's somebody in the world that's doing something that you think is wrong. And we all believe in the set of moral conduct when it comes to what we do to people, and, and, and we don't always demand it of ourselves, but we always demand that people treat us in the realms of moral conduct, right? I don't want to, I expect everybody to treat me with respect, but I don't always treat everybody else with respect. This is because of, because of what God has distilled in us, okay? And so um, just being able to, to just kind of tell people about that, that's just something that we've been looking at for a while. The next thing I want to bring your uh, attention to that you can kind of talk about with people is the manuscript evidence of the Bible. Now, I don't know if you know about this, but like certain things nowadays, we would, we would say the Bible is our total authority. The Bible is what we reference. The Bible is what we utilize as far as our belief system. But nowadays, people will attack the Bible. They will say things specifically about the scriptures. What do you do then? What do you do if you say that they were all hallucinating or the Bible was written by man, right? Or you say that how can we know that that's actually true? You have to know how to respond to these statements. And there's a few things that we can look at that let us know that you can actually believe it as fact. There was 5,800 handwritten Greek manuscripts of the Bible that we have found. More than any other ancient manuscript of, of any kind of Greek antiquity comes the Bible, right? They found the Dead Sea Scrolls that were dated from B.C. 100 all the way to A.D. 100, all right? B, uh, 50 B.C. all the way to A.D. 100 B.C. You can actually reference these documents nowadays. In uh, A.D. 303, the Roman Emperor Diocletian ordered three edicts of persecution that absolutely was sent out through Rome to like destroy all of the Bibles, all of the manuscripts of any kind of religion, because he thought that the Christians were disputing over whether or not the Greek gods were right or not. So he ordered that they would all be destroyed. But even without those specific documents, we still have from the early church fathers 36,000 quotations from New Te Testament scripture that we could assemble and still make a Bible from Justin Martyr, Arrhenius, Origen, and Tertullian, who were the early church fathers. So there's proofs, right? There's proofs that we actually have an infallible word. This is a history book just like any other book written by actual people. It isn't fake. It's not a book of fairy tales. We already talked about if people think that Jesus was just a good moral teacher, he was either God or he was a lunatic because the claims that he made were divine. And so you can't just look at him like any other philosopher or any other man that just taught good things. 
there's um, as far as like the preserve, preservation of the uh, Bible, people say that well, we don't have the original, so how can you know it is true? Why are copies better than an original? Well, the originals would have been destroyed over time, right? Copies of copies of copies enforce the fact that we do have a proper translation, and the Jewish scribes um, did that. Now, there's an estimated two hundred thousand errors through all the old. Um, New Testament as well as Old Testament documents that we have. But the thing is, is they're all grammatical. They're periods, they're commas, they're, they're just slight differences that don't affect doctrine. They don't affect any kind of article of faith. And so when people within those documents, when they see one of those little errors, such as a quotation or maybe a comma that was misplaced, they'll, they'll multiply that by how many documents they have. So they'll say that there's all these thousands of errors. So it's not even a good criteria to examine the Old Testament documents. Right? The New Testament writers were, people will say that the New Testament writers were biased, right? But what was the result, right? These, these were Jewish disciples. I don't know if you know, but we talked about who actually, last Sunday we talked about who Christ was and how people have a misinterpretation of who Christ was. He was a Jew. He was a Middle Eastern man. He wasn't a white Caucasian with long hair. And, and during this time period, all the disciples would have been Jews. And it was a great time of persecution under Roman rule. Um, there was a lot of revolts. It wasn't uncommon for a man to claim that he was the Jewish Messiah. They'd been waiting for the Messiah for thousands of years. So they had to authenticate the fact that Jesus was the actual Messiah. These disciples had no motive in order to create some kind of new religion. They'd been Jews for thousands of years, right? And they left all to follow Christ, and they were all martyred. So what kind of intent did these guys that wrote the New Testament, what kind of intent did they have to create this new form of religion? A lot of people will say that religious people can't write his historically accurate because of the fact that we're biased. Well, everybody's biased. All history was written with a bias, right? One of the greatest uh, historians for the Holocaust are Jewish historians. Well, they're obviously biased because they want to defend the fact that they were killed by Hitler, but does that mean that their history is inaccurate? No. The same thing applies to the, to the disciples. Just because you have an intent to write history does not mean that it's not valid, so they can still be objective, right? Are the documents written early? All were written by about 80, 100. All were written within 100 years of when Christ actually died and rose again, right? They date between 95, or AD 95 and, and AD 110. The early church fathers, Clement, Ignatius, and Polycarp, quoted passages out of 25 out of the 27 New Testament books. They didn't quote out of Second John or Jude because they would have died by then, right? And so and there's also a huge argument here too because if you go to Mark chapter 13, Christ predicts that the temple was going to be destroyed. If you read through your New Testament, none of the apostles, right, Paul doesn't reference it, none of them reference the fact that the temple was destroyed, something that they would have included. Well, the temple was destroyed in AD 70, meaning that all of the books had to be written before AD 70. And a lot of people will say, well, thousands of years, they were written thousands of years after Christ, but they have no proof for that, right? They were written within the same hundred years. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 15 that a lot of the people that saw the resurrected Christ are alive today in, in his time. He says you can cross-reference anything with them as well. So it's very important to know that when people make these statements, it's kind of like they don't, they don't understand. You've got to say, wait a second. Because one of the arguments is if they were written thousands of years after Christ, it gave room for legend, it gave room for falsity, and all these kind of things, right? And I love when people say you can't believe the Bible because it was written by man. So is every history book that you've ever read. So is every book that you had in school. But it gets even better, right? Luke was a first century medical doctor. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. He recorded events from the early church. He must have had eyewitness testimony to different acts that he wrote about, obviously, in Luke and the book of Acts. He records 84 specific historical geographical details that are confirmed by secular historians. That's why people hate Luke. Because if he confirmed 
84 things that can be historically verified, there's also 34 miracles that are included in the book of Acts. Well, if he was right about 84 things there, then what about the miracles? Was he crazy? I think not. And we know from, based on this, we know Clement from Rome in the late first century and from other church fathers that Paul was executed sometimes during the reign of Nero, which ended in 68 BC. If you read the book of Acts, which is a continuation of Luke, there's no record that Paul was, was, Paul, was, Paul was killed, and Luke would have included this. So Acts must have been written before 68 B.C. Well, we know that Luke was written before Acts, so Luke must have been dated even earlier than that. And we know that Luke got his information from Matthew and Mark, so Matthew and Mark must have been earlier than that. So we can date these uh, Gospels as well as the New Testament documents up until 20 years within Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It seems pretty close and accurate to me. So why can't we believe these things? Why does it take such blind faith to believe that the Bible is real, right? That the Bible is real. Once liberal archaeologist William F. Albright said, there is no longer any solid basis for dating any book of the New Testament after AD 80. After death, AD, 80 AD. 40 years is too long. People say 40 years is too long to keep things historically accurate. Well, what about Pearl Harbor? What about World War II? Nowadays, they're even teaching 9-11 in school as history. It, that's crazy to me to think because kids are in high school nowadays who, who didn't even see it. They weren't even alive. It's absolutely insane. So if we can write biographies and history about those events, why can't they write history, eyewitness history based on Christ's life as well as his death, burial, and resurrection? All right. Now I, let's look at some scripture here. I do apologize if I'm putting you to sleep. I'm so sorry about that. Um, do we have eyewitness testimony? Go with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 32. We're heading towards the end here. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, this is Paul speaking, whereof we are all witnesses. We are all witnesses. Go to chapter 3 of Acts, verse 15. Verse 14, But ye denied the Holy One unjust, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are all witnesses. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 18, it says, And they called them, and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Go to chapter 5 in verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Go to chapter 10 verse 39. Chapter 10 verse 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. You can go through. He's continually affirming that they were witnesses of what actually happened. Remember we, wrote, we, we confirmed that Luke wrote Acts, and he confirmed 84 specific places historically that you can reference today by secular historians, and they were right about this. Why were they not crazy there, but why were they accurate here? They have to beg that question. First Corinthians 15, you've read before, Paul talks about the fact that you can go to the witnesses that were alive at his time and you can actually talk to people that saw the resurrected Christ. Luke proposes a big problem because he claimed that they did miracles and you have to disprove that, right? There was eyewitness testimony. Peter said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables, right? There's no private interpretation. 
right? We're just reporting literally what we have seen. Acts 2.32, we're all witnesses. We just read that. We cannot speak about the things which we have seen and heard, right? They're continually confirming this. So why do people look at the Bible like it's not a historical book? These men were literally writing what they saw, right? We've already talked about on Sunday that there's 11 different sources, 11 historians that are secular who confirm that Jesus Christ walked and lived this earth. The only thing that is negotiated is whether or not he rose, rose from the dead. Now, one of the greatest things that I think, and we're wrapping this up here, one of the greatest things I think about Christianity, you remember in Gamaliel, in Acts chapter 5, right? They wanted, to, they wanted to kill these apostles, and he's like, leave them alone, right? He goes, if this is of God, it'll continue. If not, it'll cease, right? Now, this is not a basis for theology, though, because if, if, if truth was based on numbers, then Islam would have it and the Jehovah's would have it, right? That's not what he's talking about there. But he's saying that there's been Messiah after Messiah after Messiah, and they've all come, and they've all claimed to be the chosen one. They've all claimed to be God's anointed, and they ceased to exist, and there was no movement. But something promulgated, something turned these scared disciples into apostles. What was that? Why are there millions of Christians in the world today? Why are we even here tonight based on this? you got to ask yourself these questions. Do we just believe it because of faith, because our mom and dad told us to believe it? Or do we actually reference and ask questions about whether or not this stuff is true? Because the world thinks we're nuts. They think we just believe it blindly, but there's so much truth. One of the big reasons why you can look at the disciples and say they reported things accurate is the embarrassment factor. We do not like to embarrass ourselves. We like to hide that. But if you look through the Gospels, these guys were human beings, right? They were seen as dim-witted in Mark, uncaring. They fell asleep in the garden of Gethsemane while Christ was praying before he was crucified. They literally fell asleep, right? Christ rebuked them, all right? They were doubters. After Christ was resurrected, they still doubted him, right? It was the woman who went to the tomb to see if he was even resurrected. They were all hiding for fear of being persecuted. Why would they include these bad details about themselves if they were trying to make themselves look good? They also included a lot of difficult sayings that Jesus said, right? Jesus in the Gospels is portrayed not as God incarnate, but he's portrayed as a human being. People, call, people called him crazy. They said he was out of his mind. He was not believed by his own family. They thought he was a deceiver. They thought he was demon-possessed, right? And if you go to uh, John chapter 8, he's speaking to the Jews and they love him. And by the end of the chapter, they want to stone him. Right? Christ was not seen in a good light. In Matthew chapter 11, they called him a drunkard. Again, I say he was called demon-possessed. A prostitute washed his feet with her own hair, which was in Jewish culture a sexual advance. I mean, why would Christ in his deity portray himself in this way? Right? It, does, it doesn't make sense. He even denies his deity. The rich young ruler comes to him and calls him good, and he says, wait a second, there's only one good, and that's God. Why would Christ say this about it, right? He makes a morbid claim in John chapter 6. He goes, listen, you've got to eat my flesh. You've got to drink my blood. And all of the disciples are like, this dude's nuts, and they left him. Why in the world would they include these kind of things? I mean, the world thinks it's crazy by reading this stuff. So why would they include it if they were trying to make up some kind of weird uh, religion? It's also, the Bible says that people are like, it's written by man, so you can't believe it. But these men, if they wrote this based on their own intent, they would have never influenced the teachings that are in the Gospels. Right? God says that adultery is in your heart. He says if you divorce your wife for any other reason other than unfaithfulness, you've committed adultery. In Jewish culture, you could divorce your wife for burning your food. Thank God we don't do that nowadays, right? Right? He, he says if you're punched in the face, you turn the other cheek. Mankind's not like that. They would, why would in the world would they, would they make that up? He said love your enemies, right? Love those which persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. And he topped it off by saying be ye perfect for your Father in heaven is perfect. These disciples were dumb fishermen. You think they would have came up with this by themselves? 
No, it was divine, right? And they distinguished exactly what Jesus says as opposed to themselves. You realize that if they were trying to abuse and promote a new religion, they could have said that Jesus said anything they wanted to. They could have been like he did say, you could divorce your wife or burn in your dinner, right? They could have put any words in Jesus' mouth, but they distinguish between what they said and what Jesus says. In 1 Corinthians, Paul makes a statement where he literally says, I'm speaking out of my own opinion. I'm not speaking out of divine influence. He literally says that in 1 Corinthians. Why would they say this? They also included Pharisees' conversion. If you read Acts, they talk about a bunch of Pharisees that were converted. This would have been easy to disprove because of the Jewish, the Jews already hated them. And so if they said that they had a bunch of Jewish proselytes, they could have easily gone to them and said they didn't really get converted. These guys are lying, right? It doesn't make any kind of sense. They also included over 13 historical figures that are historically verified, right? If you read Luke chapter 3, uh, they went to be taxed when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and he talks about Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas. He references over 13 historical characters where they easily could have gone back through and said that these guys were nuts. Everybody wants to say that the Gospels are like the myths in, in, the, Greek, you know, in the Greek mythology, but the thing is, is that they actually use real people in real places that could have been double-checked to see if it was true or false. Why did they do this? They also tell us to check the facts. Luke in Luke chapter 1 and Acts chapter 1 says, hey, examine this kind of stuff. See if it's true. Peter says you can look at it. We, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Acts chapter 26, when Paul is talking to King Agrippa, he tells King Agrippa, do you not believe the prophets, right? Do you not believe Christ was resurrected? This thing has not been done in a corner. He says you can literally look at what's happened in this specific place of Jerusalem and know that it's true. They also don't offer embellished versions of miracles when they describe the resurrection right if you can read any resurrection account in the four gospels they talk about it in a very simplistic way there's something called the apocrypha it's an, it's it's extra gospels that were written af far hundreds of years after christ um after the new testament was written and the, the catholics still use it but it's got like the gospel of peter the gospel of thomas a bunch of other gospels and they removed them from the bible because they didn't they didn't kind of collaborate with what, how the disciples referenced things and the gospel of peter it talks about jesus coming out of the tomb and a cross came out and it had like three heads on it and it came out and it was all it was like a sci-fi it was like star trek the disciples didn't embellish stuff that Christ did. It was very subtle, right? They said the woman came to the tomb. They saw that Jesus was gone. The angels told them that Jesus was gone, right? Jesus appeared to them. It was very unembellished. It was very just normal, right? They weren't trying to abuse the fact that they could have put anything into it. And they also didn't have any kind of advantage in creating this new religion. I don't know if you know this, but Jews hate Christians because we stole their religion. We stole their Messiah right we ended their sabbath we said we said christ is the fulfillment of the law we said you don't have to identify with certain aspects of the law or identify the feast days jews hate christians to this day because of that they think we literally stole their religion but these disciples were jews from birth they had no motive to kind of create any kind of thing that would have brought about this new religion of christianity they literally died for it there's no motive there in closing, the last part about it, um, and I do apologize, um, the, the, this is just really cool. A lot of people say, well, they probably all just hallucinated, right? They all just hallucinated Christ coming. Here's the deal, though. If you talk to any psychologist nowadays who, who actually has a degree, he will tell you that hallucinations never happen in group settings, right? If I went to Brother Klein and said, man, we had an awesome dream last night, didn't we? He'd look at me nuts. You know what I'm saying? Hallucinations happen individually. Okay, and so a lot of people say that you know they all hallucinated. This is not historically accurate, right? He didn't appear to just want to just one on occasion. He appeared to a lot of different people over 500, according to Paul, over a 40-day period, and they saw him eating, drinking. They even touched him, 
Okay, this was not a hallucination. Some people say that they well the, the the disciples went to the wrong the wrong tomb. But if they went to the wrong tomb, then the Jews literally could have just took the real body of Jesus. And when they all claim that Christ has rose again the third day, the Jews could have just took the body and said, "He's here. He's still dead." And the cool part about it is, do you know who put Jesus in the tomb? What his name was? His name was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. So a Jewish guy took Christ's body. All right. People want to say that this was just made up. They could have easily gone to a fellow member of the Sanhedrin and said, hey, these Christians are trying to promulgate this lie. Take the body of Jesus out and parade it through the streets and show people that, that it's false. They never did that. Why was that? Because it must have really been empty. You also got to take the ministry of Paul. What, what did Paul see on the road to Damascus? This was one of the leading proponents of religious persecution to the Christians, and he just saw nothing and changed his whole entire life. It doesn't make any kind of sense why he would do that, right? Uh, G Some people say Jesus didn't die. What? Jesus didn't die? So they just they just took a body, they embalmed the living body, Joseph and Nicodemus did, and just put it in the tomb, right? Even if, even if Jesus did survive the crucifixion, he had to literally try to live 36 hours in a cold, nasty, damp tomb. No human could have done that, right? You got to reference Paul's experience, and you also got to take the accounts of Josephus, Tacitus, Thallus, and the other Roman historians who all confirm that Jesus died. Everybody saw it. Saying that, well, maybe, maybe you know, they, they saw the wrong person. Maybe it wasn't really Jesus. Somebody just substituted him. That's like saying that, that Abraham Lincoln's wife, right? Abraham Lincoln wasn't really killed in Ford Theater. They just got the wrong guy. There were so many eyewitness testimonies who witnessed Christ die. You'd have to make their testimonies not valid to say that Christ really didn't die on the cross, right? So it doesn't even make sense. Lastly, a lot of people say that, well, the disciples just made it up based on blind faith, right? Their faith made them see this. No, 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 When Christ died, there was nobody with him, right? His head, one of his head disciples named Peter denied him three times because outside of the court, they noticed that he had a Galilean accent and they thought he was with Christ and he cursed God, right? All the other disciples were hiding. None of them followed him. None of them thought he was going to rise again. All of them literally doubted and were portrayed as absolute. I mean, literally, these were this was Jesus's best friends. I mean, if Jesus would have appeared to me after he resurrected, I would have felt so guilty because I didn't even believe in what he said that he was going to do. It was not their blind faith that led to the belief. It was the appearance of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That is why we're here tonight. That's why Paul said, if Christ didn't rise again, our whole faith is in vain. Because we believe in what we believe in, not because we're stupid Christians or because we have no evidence. It's because people literally saw the resurrected Christ. Or else I wouldn't be standing up here. I wouldn't be here tonight. I'd be off living like the rest of the world, right? And so I'm so sorry about that. Oh my goodness, um, that was probably extremely boring, all right? But, but it's really, I mean, that's not even half of it. It's really so interesting. And honestly, you know, I was talking to my friend the other night, and he was bringing this stuff up to me. You know, he doesn't, he, he's not an absolute believer, and he was just making these statements about how the Bible is just inaccurate because of this or that, and I was giving him some of these things. And you watch the look on these people's faces when they, they, they believe. It's easy to say that you have a theory to disprove what we said, but I just gave a long, boring monologue of all the evidence that we have that Christ was born again. It's easy to say, well, what about this? But, okay, we'll provide evidence for that, right? And so I just hope that in you guys' own life that you start to look at this stuff because when you start giving this out, people's eyes open because people are looking for answers, right? All right, dear, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you did rise again. We thank you that we can that we can know that we're Christians. You said, blessed are they who have not seen and believed, and we definitely feel blessed for what you've done in our lives, God. We do pray for safety uh, travels as we go home.
And we thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen.